Um, <clears throat> we are on week three of our series entitled uh, Under Construction. And last week we talked a little bit about um, what, happens, what happens to us at the moment of conversion, which is the moment when we make a decision to give Jesus our hearts and our lives. We talked about that when that moment occurred or occurs for some today, there are things that happen that we have no control over, which is God saves us, he regenerates us, and that's where we get the word regeneration, which means that now that I am in Jesus, I am part of a new generation based on 1 Peter, for you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He regenerates us. Uh, he adopts us. He receives us as sons. Those are things that happen that we have no control over. It just happens by grace. But then there are some things that happen that now God says, I did for you what you can't do for you, but now I need you to do for you what I cannot or will not do for you, but I will empower you with the Holy Spirit, and I will place them in you, so that the Holy Spirit through you can help you become who God has called you to become. And, and so when I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I mentioned that last week, I was, I was endeavoring to let us know that God's desire for us is that we can submit our lives holistically to him. And as you saw in the video, when we give our lives to Christ, that's exactly what is happening in the spirit world. There's a construction process going on in here and in here. And these things are going to either be transformed or become relics of the past, depending on whether or not we allow the Holy Spirit to drill in us and demolish these thoughts and demolish these experiences that we have been carrying for years in an effort so that we can become the people God has called us to become. And so today I want to start off as an introduction reminding us of the Trinitarian composition that we are as human beings. The Bible says that God made us in the image and in the likeness of God. And when the Bible says that, he is not talking about a physical image because God is not a person. God is not a physical image. God is a spirit. So when the Bible says we look like God, it's not that my, my facial features are Christ-like or they look like God. When, when the Bible talks about we were made in the image and likeness of God, he's not talking about physical pulchritude. He's talking about spiritual manifestation. And that's important for us to understand because when you understand that, you're going to realize that the part of us that is like God is the part of us that came from God. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. The part of us that looks like God or the part of us that is like God is the part that came from God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 that God did two things with man. God made man and God created man. Genesis 1.26 says, and God said, the word God is 
Elohim. And the word Elohim is another word to explain plurality. Elohim means multiplicity in God. So what does that mean? The Elohim is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. These three manifestations is what they call Elohim, which is God. And that's important. Genesis 1.26, and Elohim said, and God said, let us make man. That's a, that's a key word. Make man in our image and likeness. So he can subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth, replenish the earth. And, he does, and then he says, and then God created man in his image. So the two key words, three key words. One, God, Elohim, plurality of gods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then there's another word which is God made man and God created man. Are they the same thing? Absolutely not. Because the made part of man comes out of the created part of man. Let me explain. God made man out of where? Out of the dust of the earth. So the part of man that was made was made out of something that was created. But then God created man, and the part of God that created man was not done by the part of man that was made. Two different things. So what does God do? First, he made man, and then he created man. Where I feel it should have been done the other way around. Let's create first and then make second. God didn't do that when it comes to us. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first thing God did. But when it came to man, he reversed the order. When it came to man, he made first, created second. When it came to the world, he created first, then he made the fish. He created first, then he made the fowls of the air. When it came, it was, first he created, then he made. When it came to us, he made first, then he created. Why did he do that? That's a good question. He did that because God's desire for man was to create. And when, and when we talk about creates, is the part of God that is not visible. Okay? Because God is a spirit. So when God is about to create from what is not what he decided to do was he decided to take from what was made and from what was made he's going to put what is not made so that the creative power and element and likeness of God, he can put it in this thing called flesh, which is this. And what out of what he made, he created in man of himself. Now here's what happens. And God said, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God looks at the body, which was just the body. He looks at himself, which is spirit. And when the Bible says, and when God blew, the word blow is in the Hebrew, nefash, which means the likeness of God. When God blew into man, here's what happened. Another aspect of man came about, which was now the body. God blows in the body, 
And in between the body and the spirit, there's this thing called soul. The soul. And it is in the soul where we cry, we have feelings, we have emotions. Whether they anger, whether there's anger, whether it's bitterness. In other words, but, 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 but God, between the body and the spirit, he put the sandwich, the ham in the sandwich called soul. And now, when God's creative power enters what he formed, man becomes, I feel like preaching, man becomes like God, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When God took what he made, which was flesh, and he blew in it the breath of life, now man became body, soul, no, spirit, soul, body. And when God says, he made us in his image. He's talking about the way we function as individuals. So the part of us that is like God comes from God. The part of us that is human came from the world, out of the dust of the earth. God made us. And look at what God does. Because God always deals with us from his level of essence. God made woman for Adam. Why? So that Adam can deal with the part of himself that is human at a human level. That's why he gave him a woman. So when Adam was alive, God put him to sleep, did his first operation in the history of creation, cut the man open, did surgery, took out a bone, made a woman. And when he made a woman and Adam looked at that chick with her hips, lips, and fingertips, he said, oh, good God Almighty. Mm. And he called a woman because when he saw her, he was like, whoa, man. Whoa! He was wild. And God made Adam someone to deal with him in his human level. And why he did that? Because God was never, God never intended to deal with man in the physical realm. Because God is not physical, God is spirit. So he gave him a woman so that he can deal with himself human to human. And what would God do? Then God would have fellowship with man in the aspect of man that is like God, which is spirit to spirit. So God would come and visit man. The Bible says that God will visit man in the cool of the day to be with man. What man? The physical man? No. The spiritual man. Where is the spiritual man at? The spiritual man is right here. The spiritual man is the part of the man that handles everything with the mind. The mental aspect of man is what God will come to deal with every single day in the cool of the garden. When God will come and visit and have his appointment with Adam, he wasn't interested in finding out did he file his nails. Adam, you got a little fat brother, you got to hit the gym. He wasn't dealing with that because God don't deal flesh. God don't deal the physical. He deals with us spirit. That's what the Bible says. God is spirit. And it is necessary that those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So God will never deal with you flesh to spirit. I got one better. God will never deal with you soul to spirit. 
God is going to deal with you spirit to spirit. Because, because, because some of us have a relationship with God based on our emotions. Some of us have a relationship with God based on how we feel. That's why if we don't feel good today, we ain't going to praise the Lord. And when we feel good today, but God is not a solistic, the, uh, no, I feel like preaching. God is not a solistic essence of God that when you feel, no, no, no. If you worship in spirit, he deals with us from spirit to spirit. Listen, we were created to be like God. Touch your neighbor, tell them, touch your neighbor, be like, be like God, be like God. The part of man that was like God depended on God on a daily basis. I want you to understand this. When God made Adam, Adam was perfect. He was perfect. Adam was perfect. Oh, my God. When Adam was, what I said, when Adam was, there's a difference between made and created. When Adam was created, he was perfect. And within perfection came holiness and innocence. What is perfection? Perfection is the conglomeration between Holiness, innocence, and purity. That's what makes perfection. And so God, because he knew Adam was perfect, he was going to take Adam through a series of learning processes in order to show Adam all that God had in store for Adam before the foundation of the world. Well, I want you to get this. And I'm going to take my time. I'm going to take my time. You know what, Jim. When God blew in Adam the breath of life, he blew in Adam the capacity to understand God at the level of God. I want you to see them. But, 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 and within that capacity... Upon Adam's reality of, his, of himself, he was perfect, he was innocent, and he was holy. Now, as a parent, because at the end of the day, God is the father of Adam. Isn't that crazy? Yo, Adam, who's your papa? <laughs> imagine, imagine, you, imagine, as a father, as a parent, when we have children who are, when a baby's born, when a baby's born, even though we know they're sinners because everybody's born in sin, but when a baby's born, they're perfect, right? They're innocent. They're holy. It's, it's, when a baby's born, it's, it's like, it's like, for those of you hearing this on iPads, I can't explain this, but it's, it's like, I remember when my daughter was born. When my daughter was born, and I saw that apparatus come out of my wife's womb. <laughs> I, saw, I, saw, I saw perfect love. I saw perfect purity. I saw purity at its best. 
I saw innocence at its best. I don't know about now, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> and as a parent, there are things that I was not able to tell my daughter three weeks old because she wouldn't understand it. I, I, I couldn't tell her stuff about master's degree in college. I, I, you know, I couldn't, there were things I couldn't tell her. So the only thing I could have done was talk to her at her level, and here's what I did. <laughs> Looking like a fool. Because innocence did not give me room to tell her everything I knew God had in store for her. Why? Because in her mind, she was not ready to absorb everything I knew God had for her. So what did I do as a parent? I began to wait until she was ready to understand concepts and values and principles that she was going to need so that now that she's 21, she can make decisions based on values that would instruct. But at three weeks old, she won't know that because she's still perfect, because she's pure, because she's innocent. Listen to me. One of the things we do is to protect the innocence of our children is to watch them carefully. I remember when my kids were growing, my kids were young. I ain't let my kids stay in nobody's house. And I don't care if they were family. Hey, can, can your daughter stay over my house? No. Because I don't know what's in your crazy head. And I don't want to expose my daughter's innocence to your perversion. So it's not that I don't like you. It's that I know God has a plan for her. And I need to protect her innocence before you tarnish. <laughs> what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love protects. So I got to protect my daughter. Why? Because there are things I want her to know from me, not from you. I'm going to take my time. We protect the innocence of our children. And here's why. Because the longer they stay children, the better equipped they will become as adults. But if you start exposing a five-year-old to pornography, the sooner you expose them to these things, he is more likely to be a affected individual as he grows. So what do you do? You protect innocence. No, I don't want you in my house. No, no, no. He's not sleeping in your house. No, no, no. She ain't going to play Barbie with Ken in your house. Not in your house. 
Because, listen, listen, listen. Innocence can be destroyed. Listen, innocence can be destroyed in two seconds that you touch my daughter the wrong way. And what I've been trying to keep for five years, you ain't going to mess it up in two seconds. about click, devil is a liar. So I'm going to protect innocence because innocence needs to be protected. A child should never be in a position in his innocent state of mind where he's going to be molested and abused by satanic perpetrators who's by Satan's hand, they try to abort the future of the individual God has placed in the world. And I'm going to protect my family from perpetrators that try to mess up my home. Let me... We need to protect innocence. And I'm, now I'm not just talking about physical innocence. I'm talking about spiritual innocence too. Because some people come to the Lord and they're in their first love. And people like you mess up their spiritual innocence. Well, I preach that. That's another day. <laughs> we need to protect innocence. The not knowing factor of people. So the question is, did God create man to keep man ignorant of things? And if, you're, and, if, and if your answer is yes, well, then you have a very poor view of your God. I don't think God was visiting Adam in the cool of the day every day and not have a plan for Adam. But here's what God did. Since God knew that Adam was not prepared in his innocence to understand, he just gave him simple instructions. He said, don't eat of the tree because you're going to die. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, Ma, can I go outside? No. Why can't I go outside? Because I said so. Se acabo. <laughs> That's what God did with Adam. God gave him limited information, but he gave him parameters because Adam was not ready to understand deeper concepts. So what was God doing? Every single day, God was meeting with man, and every day, God, as Adam was maturing from innocence to adulthood, God was working with Adam's innocence. I believe God had an intellectual plan for Adam. I believe it. God hadn't given Adam all information. Why? Because Adam was not prepared to manage all information. God was working with Adam the way you work with your kids. I don't talk to my kids. I didn't talk to my kids about sex at the age of two. And when my daughter said, Papa, where do babies come from? I said, well, there's a baby supermarket. <laughs> and they're by aisles. If you, if you want an African-American baby, go to aisle one. If you want a Latino baby, go to aisle two. If you want a, a mix, go to aisle seven. Would you honestly tell me you're going to tell and explain a two-year-old how babies come to this world? Well, here's what happens, right? A man and a woman under a tree drinking alcohol, if they're not Christians, and they're listening to, to the end of the road. <laughs> talk about erection. They talk about, you know, you don't do that because you don't want to pervert the mind of a two-year-old. So what do you do? 
there's a hospital, or there's, or there, or there's a store, and you go get it. That's what you do. Because they're not ready at the age of two to understand things like sex. It's me. So while I'm trying to protect innocence, there's another spirit outside of God who is Satan who began to download information in Adam. But the problem with Adam, he wasn't ready to know what the devil was telling Adam. God said, don't eat of the tree. Adam said, so God said, don't eat of the tree, huh? So God said, don't eat of the tree, huh? Adam and Eve was not ready to know the details outside of the original instruction God gave them. God said, don't do it. Se acabó. Close the book. And I'm going to take you gradually, step by step, and step by step. I'm not going to teach you algebra in kindergarten. I'm going to teach you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, N, M, B. But you need to know this because it's going to help you understand other concepts. But what did the devil do? He usurped God's plan. And he began to deposit and download information into man. And this caused distortion in man's innocence. And let me tell you, Satan wants to catch innocence at a time when innocence does not know the importance of being pure so that he can mess it up to a degree that by the time innocence realized the damage done, it's too late. So now years and years after the action has taken place in an individual's mind, so what happens? It's still in the trouble of the memory that that situation continues to cause ramifications and distortion. But, but look, how, look how the devil does. Look how the devil does. Because in order for Satan to distort, he does it the following way. The first thing he does is he looks for innocence. Who's innocent around here? See, because when you know, he can't mess with what you know. The Bible says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the devil only has advantage over innocence. Because what you don't know is what he's going to use as leverage to deceive you. So he's out looking for innocence. And when he finds innocence, look what he does. He camouflages himself. And he becomes pleasant to the eyes. You don't know if it's good or bad, but you just know it looks nice. He says, I know, I know she don't know about this. I know he's innocent. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint the picture so nice because I want him to like. Listen, listen. If the devil showed up to your house with a fork, a tail, two horns, and a red skin, it's like, well, hey, let's hang out. You'll do, you'll do like the chicken, the exorcist. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Remember that? Holy water. 
if, 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 if he would have come like that, we would run a mile away. The problem is the devil don't do that. The devil comes camouflaged by a nice-looking guy popping up his chest like about, hey, boo. He comes out camouflaged and a pretty-looking gal. He comes camouflaged with cars and drinks and club and party. Because his goal is to distort your innocence, but to distort your innocence, he needs to disguise himself to make you attracted to the thing he's going to use to kill you, but he can't show it off jump. So he's going to paint you a picture that's going to like you on like. So what he does, he looks for innocence, then he camouflages himself to become pleasant to the eye, and then once he got you asking, once he got you looking, then here's what he does. He brings suggestion. You ain't going to die, man. Take a bite of the tree, man, of the fruit. Take a bite. Come on. You ain't gonna, you're just going to be like God. Come on. Take a little half puff and hold it for like five seconds. (laughs) You're going to feel good. I promise you. Just hold it for five seconds. Hold it. You ain't going to get AIDS. Just sleep around. It's going to feel, I promise, it's going to feel good. Try it. Oh, God. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. He brings suggestions. He's looking for innocence. He brings suggestions. He camouflages himself to become attractive. Number three, he brings suggestions. Then here's what happens when he suggests. Suggestion awakens curiosity. Oh, so I'll be like God, huh? Mm. That's, that's a sight. I'll sleep around and, and that's going to make me a man. All right. I'm a huff and puff, and I'll be part of the clique, and I'll be like, yeah, boy, all right, all right, you know. (laughs) Curiosity leads to exploration. Exploration leads to pain. And pain opens the door to emotional and psychological trauma. And once you're at that level, now you're afraid like Adam was in the garden, hiding behind the bushes of life because of what? Not because of, Adam, not because of what Adam did, but because of what was done to Adam. But he's looking for innocence. 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 Because this goal, the Bible says in John 10, 10, the devil comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. So he's out after innocence. And now, and now, now you're a victim because innocence was contaminated. And the reality is this. You only know now what you know because of what you've been through. And the problem was, you was not supposed to know now what you know. You were supposed to know what you know when it was God's time for you to know what you know. 
but you went outside of God's plan because you was not ready to know what you know, and you and somebody abused your innocence, somebody abused your heart, somebody abused you when you was a child, somebody distorted concepts in your head, and you was not supposed to be exposed to that, but the devil was after destroying your future. He was after destroying your purpose, so he went when you was three years old, and he molested you. you he went when you was five years old, and he spoke negative into you, and now you're distorted, but I'm here to tell you today, in spite of your distortion, the Bible says that God wants to restore what the devil has broken to the glory of God. But you know not what you know because somebody distorted your innocence. Because of what you had to face, you know now what you know. But if you had not gone through what you went through, you would have not known what you know. That's crazy. Because now it's too late. Now you know. Now it's too late. Now you're abused. Now it's too late. Now you don't trust nobody. Now it's too late. Now you don't love nobody. Now, I mean, I mean, I mean, the abuse is so powerful that even after you came to Jesus and you gave him your life and he washed you and he saved you and he regenerated you and he adopted you, you're still dealing with the trauma of the hurt and the pain of yesterday. And then you say, but if I'm saved, why am I feeling this way? If I'm a Christian, why am I fighting with this battle? If I'm a Christian, why do I still hate men? And why do I still hate women? And why do I still hate people? And why I'm never happy? And why I'm always angry? And if I got Jesus, this is not supposed to happen. You're no longer innocent. But what you know is perverted. But you were not supposed to know what you know when you knew it because you was not ready to know what you know. This is why coming to Christ gives us hope. It gives us hope because God has a plan. And the Bible says in Romans 12, and I'll finish this next week, but I'll, I'll finish off with this verse. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want you to focus on that phrase. It says, do not be conformed to this world. The King James Version in your Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Somebody say pattern. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I like this soup. It's a nice soup, right? Makes me look good, right? Come on, lie, lie, lie. Say something. Right? This suit, right? I bought it in, I don't know where. I bought it in the mall somewhere. My dream one day, my dream one day, my dream one day, if the Lord touches my wife, (laughs) 
is to have a tailor-made suit. A tailor-made suit. That's my dream one day, you know. my dream, a tailor-made suit. This suit is not tailored-made. As a matter of fact, with the technology we have nowadays, I doubt if an actual person did this suit. Because now you have sewing companies that have machines that do this. This suit, if you ever want to make me a suit, is a 40 long, okay? And I'm a 34 waist, okay? 30 length. <laughs> hilarious. No, I'm not playing though. It's hilarious that I'm not playing. Okay. When I went to the store, I bought the suit because it, because it's my size, right? But when I went to the store, and this was on a rack, when I took this one out, there were approximately 10 to 15 other 40 longs in the rack. Why? Because the machine that made the suit, you put some numbers in it, in the computer, and the computer has, in the computer, it has a pattern. So all you do is press enter. And the machine makes suits because there's a pattern in the computer and it does it 40 longs. So I got a 40 long suit that I bought and even though it looks good on me, it's not tailored for me. And I can't say I'm the only one with this suit because there was 10 other suits 40 long on a rack. So I put on what 10 other people put on as well. But now, if I, if God touches my wife and she takes me to a tailor and the tailor takes his measuring tape and he starts measuring my neck and my arms and all of this blessings and he starts taking precisive measurements of my body and when I wear my suit, Nobody in the world has my suit because it was made and tailored exclusively for me. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world that everybody says is okay, that everybody says that's the way you do it, that everybody says look like this. Bible says, do not be like the world says you're supposed to be. But give God your heart. Give God your mind and let the Holy Spirit make out of you the person God has called you to be. Now notice Genesis God made a tailored suit for Adam. And Adam distorted his image from the image of God to the image of sin. The devil took that broken innocence, and now you see Adam's son killing his other son. And the pattern was broken. And it took God from Adam to Jesus 4,000 years to make a right suit. So that when Jesus shows up on the cross and dies for our sins, 
He gave us tailored-made clothing that if we put on Christ and we put on Jesus and we live for Jesus, we are no longer going to look the way the world says we have to look. Now, no, 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 notice, my wife, when she bought my tailor suit, I, I started off saying if, now I'm saying when. When my wife buys my tailor suit, when my wife buys my tailor suit, listen, the tailored suit ain't going to change the scar. I got a scar right here. I got a scar right here. I got a glass fell in my arm. I got scars. The suit, the tailored suit does not remove the scars. But the tailored suit says, somebody took the time to measure me. Somebody took the time to evaluate me. And though I got mistakes and I got scars, I'm still made in the image of the person that made my suit. What am I saying? Just because I'm in Christ, that doesn't mean the pain ain't going to be there. That doesn't mean I'm not going to look like what I did before, but the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross is going to give me the power to look at myself in the mirror. And in spite of my mistakes, I can say the blood of Jesus is sufficient for me.